Welcome to the Josh Bolton Show, where we dive into interesting and inspiring conversations. And now, your host, Josh Bolton. Hello, welcome everybody to the Josh Bolton Show. Today, we have an amazing guest, Charles Reed, veteran, business owner, and CEO. Here he is himself, Charles. Hey Josh, pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure, Charles. So tell me about yourself. You were mentioning in your bio that you were a, uh, a Vietnam vet? Yeah, I'm an old Marine. Uh, I got out of high school. I graduated early and uh, worked for a few months and uh, then went to the Marine Corps. I spent four years in the United States Marine Corps, two years overseas, uh, touring Vietnam. Uh, came back, uh, was stationed in Kansas City. Okay. Um, I was uh, trained as a computer programmer and systems engineer, as well as being a combat infantryman. That's a, <laughs> that's a mix for you. Yeah. Uh, and then I uh, met and married my wife. Uh, she had five kids when I married her. Oh, okay. Uh, nobody, nobody thought it was going to work, but it lasted 45 years until she passed. Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. So, thank you. Um, it's been almost six years now. And then uh, moved down to Texas and went to college, got my degrees, my master's, passed my CPA exam, went to work for major corporations, Texas Instruments, JCPenney's, among others, uh, for, you know, 12, 15 years. Realized I was never going to get to the top of the ladder because I didn't have the political skills. I'm unwilling to stab them in the back and throw them off the ladder. Yeah. So um, I said, if I'm going to run a company, I'm going to have to start my own. So I did. Uh, Ruth and I started this uh, in 91. Uh, and uh, 30 years later, here we are still running it. <laughs> well, we I am. So it's it's been successful. We've, we've beat the odds. Yeah. Um, so as you're saying, you've worked for different, uh, like JC Penny and all that, like mm-hmm. which one, um, triggered that you wanted to start your own business when you realized there was no return, you had to go out on your own. Pennies was my last one. Okay. Uh, I was, I was an assistant controller for pennies over their special retail division. And, uh, uh, we got into a, a disagreement, uh, about contracts and everything else. And, they wanted to move me back to the uh, hinterlands of Arkansas after we'd moved the operation down to Texas. And I was unwilling to go back and they were unwilling to pay me that they were required to. So we came to a party of the ways. My, my attorney knew a entrepreneur uh, franchise operation, uh, Financial Express. So oh, okay. I, went and talked, I went and talked to Tim Terry and uh, went to work for him as his COO. And the board was after him to get rid of the original franchise that they'd set up the original office. So I bought it. That was 1991. 92, the franchise or went belly up. Um, Tim was, uh, well, there were a lot of things going on, none of which yeah. were good. And uh, they went belly up and Ruth and I just changed the name and kept on going and as they say, the rest is history. Yeah. It was a mobile accounting service with a payroll built in. Uh, over the years, I took on a, a partner and here about seven, eight years ago, sold him all the accounting side and uh, kept the payroll side and been running with it and having a good time. Awesome. So you did accounting uh, for a while to help the, your clients with taxes, right? 
Oh, absolutely. We we did we did accounting both uh, we did accounting for them plus personal and corporate and business taxes, as well as employment taxes for the payroll side. Right. Okay. Um, so, this is a question that's been itching me, and it's actually I needed an ear like you. So, what what is the difference for taxes from like the '90s to now? Like, what are some of the like LOC to um, from then to now? Well. All the taxes are still there, uh, you know, corporate taxes, individual taxes, the deductions change, the tax rates change, right. uh, capital gains rates go up and down, personal rates go up and down. I mean, you know, we had some major changes with Reagan, uh, and then they've been creeping back up ever since. Uh, Trump knocked them down a bunch uh, on corporate here in 17. Uh, Biden, of course, is, says he's going to jack them back up. State of California wants to jack up corporate taxes and drive more corporations out of California. Uh, but one, one of the problems with corporate tax is corporations literally don't pay taxes. They're not people. Right. You know, they don't consume anything. Uh, so they buy stuff and use it and create product or services and sell those. And if you increase the taxes on corporations, I'll tell you what's gonna happen. Their prices are gonna go up. Yeah. They're gonna pass it through the consumer. So corporate taxes, and I, I have a master's in, you know, my, my, my MBA was basically in tax. I've got, when I graduated, I had like 53 hours of, of tax, corp, uh, college wow. tax courses. Wow. So corporate tax is basically a way to tax the population uh, indirectly. And yeah. so it, it serves no purpose other than to raise prices and to allow politicians to say, oh, we're taxing the corporations, not you. No. But oh, all we're doing is we're jacking up the price uh, that you're paying for stuff, services and products. And, uh, you know, we're going to get our money to, to spend on uh, – whatever. And, you know, uh, there, <laughs> there's a lot of spending that I disagree with, but you yes. know, nobody listens to me. <laughs> no, not until it's too late. <laughs> so uh, other than that, you know, tax rates change and deductions change. I mean, I remember when you could entertain at home and take a deduction for it. Uh, really? They killed. Yeah. We, we used to have parties and that was all the expenses for that party for, for clients or potential clients was a deduction. But huh. you can't, you, they killed that. They've killed uh, most of the entertainment deductions. You know, you could still, and I've had, I've been the beneficiary of this, football tickets, baseball tickets, hockey tickets from companies that I do business with. And they give me tickets to go to the games uh, because they're deductible. Yeah. Well, they're not, not anymore. deductible anymore. <laughs> oh, no. I could use put a, a free game. Put a, put a major crimp into some of the uh, uh, revenue streams for the uh, sports teams because it's not deductible to uh, the season ticket holders anymore. So that's going to hurt them over time. Yeah. So with um, the taxes and deductibles, um, so I've recently been studying like stock market and stuff. Do you think there's going to be a big shift because of Biden coming uh, towards certain more sectors and taxes? 
Oh, absolutely. There's, there's, uh, and you can read the various analysts, and and they, pre- they predict various things depending on who you talk to. But in all probability, corporate tax rates are going to go up. Personal tax rates are going to go up. Regulations are going to go up. Uh, uh, climate change uh, regulations are going to are, are going to be be piled on us. Uh, and there's going to be other restrictions uh, that the Democrats uh, are, are, are anxious to get, and uh, the progressive agenda, the you know the, the Green New Deal, uh, no cars, no trains, no planes, uh, no uh, gas or uh, petroleum-powered ships, uh, you know, on and on and on. Uh, wind power, solar power. Uh, one of the, the bright points I see in that is hydrogen power. Yes, Which, uh, I, I, I'm a, I've been a great believer in hydrogen for for many years, and uh, I think that's that's a, a real plus because that is a absolutely sustainable and renewable product. Uh, you use solar to create electrolysis, and you burn the hydrogen, and the uh, byproduct of that's water vapor, mm-hmm. which is a it's a greenhouse gas. But <laughs> well, no, I don't think water vapor itself isn't, or is it the yeah, the what, actual- what, what, Water vapor is considered a greenhouse gas. It is the largest of all the greenhouse gases. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. So, but it doesn't, there's no carbon. So it's, it's, it is carbon neutral and you're just taking water and converting it back to water using solar power, which the sun does with the oceans 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Yeah. So I, I don't see that there's much of a, a loss on that at all. It's water to water using sunlight. <coughs> yeah. So yeah, speaking of the hydrogen, uh, not many people are willing to talk about it. They're only thinking like Tesla or Nikolai are going to be like the, uh, the thing that saves us. I'm like, we still need to burn something for the electricity for those cars kind of thing. Wouldn't and, hydrogen be the thing. And then you got to haul around that heavy battery. Yeah. Without, without that battery, you know, your weight to ratio of hydrogen, well, it's in true gasoline or hydrogen as compared to battery weight, you know, is, is a small fraction. You know, gasoline, burning gasoline is, is a diesel. It's very efficient in mm-hmm. terms of weight to power ratio. Well, hydrogen is too. So if you're burning hydrogen through fuel cells, uh, which creates electricity to run an electric car, uh, you're not dragging around several thousand pounds of battery. Yeah, which excuse me, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's it's one of those or combined both where it's like an electric car to run the fuel cell as it's going. That that made more sense to me, even though no one wants to talk about it. It makes a lot of sense to me. Well, there are a few people talking about it. There's a guy in New Jersey that's a real uh, um, really proselytizes about hydrogen. He has three of them. There's hydrogen cars available in California because Arnold Schwarzenegger wanted one. And he was governor. So he signed the law to make hydrogen cars legal in California. So you can buy them in California. If you want one, you got to go to California to buy one, but they're illegal in California. All right. <laughs> it, it's good to be governor. I was going to say, yeah, I think I'm in the wrong line. I got to be governor now. There you go. Um, so you're based out of Texas, right? Right. We're just north of Dallas. All right. So be, though you're based in Texas, you know all the different states' rules kind of thing? Or oh, yeah. We, are, we, we currently operate in 47 states. I don't oh. think we have anybody in Maine. 
Montana and Alaska at the moment. We have had in the past. All right. So then this is when I can't fully, uh, for Texas, like it's true there is no income tax, correct? There's no state income tax on individuals. Uh, There's no state income tax on corporations or businesses. There is a franchise tax, which acts as a minor corporate tax, but it's not a a major thing. The the biggest tax source in uh, Texas is sales tax and property taxes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, isn't it like 30% for a property per year? No, 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 no. It's nowhere near that. Uh, It's like, oh, I don't know, $3 per thousand of value or something of that order. It's, it's, it can get excessive. Uh, but on a million dollar house, you're probably paying twelve, fourteen thousand a year. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you know, on a hundred thousand dollar house, you're paying twelve hundred bucks a year. Easy money to scrap together, kind of thing. And, well, it can be a really, it can, it can be difficult <laughs> at times. So, you know, food's tight, and money's tight, and work's tight. It's, but uh, yeah, it's it's quite it's quite feasible. It's not excessive. The sales tax is about eight and a quarter. Oh, okay. which <laughs> seems a little high at times, but it's, you know, when you go buy $50 of, of groceries, it's $4 of taxes. It's yeah, <clears throat> it's not that big of a deal. So uh, they finance that way. But, uh, you know, Texas does a couple of things that are unique. First of all, the legislature only meets four months every other year. Oh. So it's, it's not passing laws all the time. Uh, the, the, the Constitution that was written after the Civil War is very, very, very detailed about a lot of things, and there's a lot of things the state can't do. But one of the things the state has to do in Texas is have a balanced budget. Interesting. So huh. with a balanced budget, there's no deficit spending. The, uh, the legislature has to live within the tax revenue, and most taxes to increase them requires a vote from the citizenry. And Texas tends to be a red state and conservative and doesn't vote for tax increases <laughs> as much as some other places may. So, yeah. Yeah, especially here in California, where I guess we've increased a few more taxes subtly. And, and it's like, yeah. wow, I, I'm just right now just a normal work and like I can already feel this kind of thing. It's I, I we've. We used to operate in California, and we chose to to leave the state for operational purposes. Uh, and one of it was the the tax situation. Uh, my parents lived there. My grandmother lived there. My my grandfather, and when when grandfather and grandmother came back from China after World War II, he was special medical advisor to Chiang Kai Shek. They bought a place in Palo Alto, and he worked at the Stanford uh, Medical. Okay. So. Um, when, uh, grandmother died, my parents inherited the house, um, and lived there for a number of years before they passed. Uh, we sold it, uh, as the heirs. Um, but, uh, you know, I love California. It's a beautiful state, but <laughs> that's, that's about the only thing politics you get. get a little, get a little crazy at times. <laughs> yes. Well, the politics get crazy everywhere. I mean, you, you get the state legislature in Texas, and I've got some clips, and and <laughs> you just go, you got to be joking. But 
So it, no place is worse or better than others, but the tax situation uh, in California, and we deal with it all the time. Um, uh, you know, it's a high tax state like Massachusetts, New York, Illinois, and uh, they have to get the money to uh, pay for what the state legislature uh, has decided they want to do. And it's all about, it comes down to, you know, who you vote for and what their priorities are. And priorities are different in different states. Yes, that is true. Um, speaking of the priorities, so with COVID, we've recently been having, like, because I work night shift at a grocery store locally, uh, we've been increasing um, our pay for, like, hazard. But I sat there, I'm like, guys, this is going to be a problem. Like, we're going to get taxed way more because we have a pay increase. You'll get taxed more, and your your tax rate may go to the next bracket and be paying more, but it's on the margin. Uh, on that extra portion, you may pay a little more percentage-wise than you pay on this portion if it moves you up into the next tax bracket. But the tax brackets go uh, a step up. So everything to here is at one rate, then it goes up. And that portion that's gone up is at a, maybe at a higher rate. Then if you make a lot more, you may be at a higher rate, but it doesn't go retroactive back to uh, the, your, your regular uh, payroll portion. So you'll right. pay a higher tax on the additional uh, income, but not a higher tax on the income you were already making. Okay, unless so, they raise the unless they raise the rates, then yeah, everybody goes up. Right. Uh, would you say also the stimulus checks is going to bump us up too, from a tax well, point of view? The the stimulus checks, yes, they're going to bump you up slightly. It's, it's going to affect your taxable income. That's that's what I was thinking. Uh, my coworkers are just like, oh, it's free money. The IRS is giving it to us. I'm like, there's no such thing as a free lunch, guys. There is no, no. such thing. No, you're going to pay for it now. The PPP. They've set that up so it's not taxable, uh, and it's basically free money. Uh, but somebody has to pay for it, and there will be taxes that has to pay for that back. I mean, you know, the U.S. government is in debt in the term, you know, in excess of a of a hundred trillion dollars, uh, which is more than you know forty or fifty thousand dollars for every man, woman, and child in the country. Mm-hmm. It's going to have to be paid back at some point in time, though, you know, modern money theory says, you know, you're borrowing from yourself. It doesn't have to be paid back. Uh, I don't necessarily agree. You got to pay the interest on it because somebody's looking for it, whether it be uh, the, ins- the insurance company and their, or, you know, the widow in a retirement fund or the Chinese or whoever owns the bonds mm-hmm. expects interest. So you got to pay it. So you actually touched on something I was going to get to. So the modern money theory, do you think it is feasible or is it more a bunch of smoke kind of thing? Personally, personally, uh, personally I get smoke and mirrors. Uh, I, I see no validity to the theory uh, from my point of view. Uh, but, you know, I've been wrong about other things. <laughs> yeah, we're human. It happens. So, uh, you know, I, just my opinion. And I, I've been a, 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 you know, I was a registered rep. I had my series seven and 66 licenses. I was a registered investment advisor and a stockbroker and so on at one point uh, advising my clients. Uh, so, you know, I've gotten into this and I've got my MBA and my, my undergraduate minor in finance and 
I read this stuff all the time. I don't agree with it, but if it works, it works. I mean, you know, we'll see, uh, you know, uh, proof's in the pudding. Let's see what happens over the next few years. Yeah. Um, so a recent, I want to say trend, at least in California is shifting to where even unskilled people are getting skilled jobs and we have to pay for it kind of thing. Do you, is there any implications on the corporations for doing something like that? Well, it's one thing to pay skilled wages to unskilled workers, but skilled workers getting skilled worker wages is great because they're productive. They're the idea with a corporation or business is you want to produce and make a profit. Right. If you can make a profit, if you can hire somebody and make more than what you pay them, hire them. Hire yeah. them as many as you can. Right. Okay. But now that's not the only thing that goes in. You have to have the market. You have to have the people to sell it to. And you have to have the accounting and all the, the facilities and the physical plan and everything else. But uh, if you can hire people and make money from them, which is what businesses do, that's great. Mm-hmm. Okay, but if you, the, if the government forces you to pay wages to somebody that can't produce enough revenue to cover their cost, they're just asking you to go out of business, and you will. If if yeah. if you lose money on everybody you hire, why would you hire anybody? It 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 makes no sense to hire somebody that's going to cost you money above and beyond what they can produce. Right. That there's that that's just economics. Yeah. Um, so the, the concept of, of forcing people to pay wages in excess of the value of the labor they're receiving. I mean, okay. The whole thing for $15. Well, you know, why stop at 15? Why not make it 25? Why not make it $50 an hour? Hey, $50 an hour. That's a hundred thousand a year. You live nicely on that, right? Mm-hmm. So let's pay everybody. Let's let's pay the, the the guy that flips burgers at McDonald's fifty bucks an hour. He'll have a nice living, right? No, because everything else can go up in price. Well, of course, McDonald's hamburgers will be you know forty dollars. So inflation will go through the roof, and we'll find that that hundred thousand uh, dollars will cover an apartment and a car and and a marriage. Sorry, right. no. Uh, the, the whole point of getting ahead in this world is you get skilled, you get educated, uh, you work hard, you develop uh, experience, and you're worth more. Uh, mm-hmm. That's, you know, we, we pay for high school. Uh, and in California, it used to be they'd almost pay for college. They uh, pretty much still do. So, you know, uh, I went to a junior college in California, a couple of them. <laughs> more than 50 years ago uh, when I was, when I lived out there, cause I was in service in San Diego and then in, in, at Camp Pendleton. And, and later on uh, I, before that I spent time in Palo Alto at my, my grandmother's house and went to Foothill college there and so on. So a good college system, good education system boosts people up and allows them to be more productive, but some people don't get experience. Some people don't get educated. Uh, some people uh, don't want to work hard. Uh, and to force businesses to pay them more than they're producing is just counterproductive. I'm sorry. It is. 
Uh, speaking of which, I think isn't it Connecticut that passed that you can? They now have to pay three months of um, vacation. Not three months, but there's a lot of uh, states and municipalities that are doing uh, uh, sick pay and paid time off and this kind of thing. Okay. Um, it's not federal. It's in the states. Three months. I've not heard anything about that, but I've seen lots of things of, you know, up to two weeks a year, up to 40 hours, you know, the, uh, different states do it differently and different municipalities in some states do it differently. In Texas, the the state has basically uh, said uh, cities, you cannot uh, set minimum wages. You can't set a number of these things. It's only going to be at the state level. The state preempts the cities. The cities are a uh, creation of the state, and the city charter comes from the state, and the state can revoke it and change it. So, um, and they could do it in California if they chose to. They could say to Santa Monica and so on, you can't have your own minimum wage. They choose not to. That's California, and that's fine. I have no problem with that. Um, Different state, and that's why there are 50 states because we are a federation of independent states. That's what makes up the United States of America. And the 10th Amendment basically says anything that's not in the Constitution that allows the federal, that says the federal government can do this and is not prohibited to the federal government by the states is reserved for the states or the people respectively. Well, the federal government has usurped a lot of things over the years, but the Tenth Amendment still exists, and, and and so they don't, you know, they don't get to do everything. That's why the fifty states have their own minimum wages and uh, uh, other things, child labor laws, uh, uh, child support, all kinds of things are at the state level, and and this is how the United States was designed to work at the state level, not at the federal level. The federal level was supposed to handle those things that oversaw all the states, not the minutia detail that Congress has gotten into so much over the last hundred years. Hundred years, okay. I, I wasn't around that long. <laughs> well, neither was I. But uh, you, you go back to uh, uh, Franklin Roosevelt is where a lot of this uh, reaching by the federal government started, uh, and has continued to this day. Uh, I mean, uh, for instance, Second Amendment, uh, whether you believe it or not, it's there. Uh, Putting up a mandated federal uh, no-gun zones is just overreach. Uh, If the states want to do it, that's fine. That's their business. But it's not not a federal function. So, yeah, uh, a lot of people haven't read the Constitution and, and really should look at it and read it. Uh, there's some great, uh, and I'm not promoting this, mind you, but Hillsdale College puts on some great uh, free classes on the Constitution. They're a very conservative institution, uh, and they have some great, wonderful free classes on the Constitution that, you know, I think people should should look at or something similar to it and understand why the Constitution exists and what it really covers. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, uh, I remember when I was younger, we barely went over in like fifth grade, but then I, <coughs> the rest of my high school, like junior high, high school year, we never touched it again. 
And that's one of those, like, I personally researched it because I'm like, okay, this is important. This is like what says we are for America and we're not talking about it. Something's up. Right. Uh, when I went to high school, we had civics and it was two semesters. Uh, when I went to college here in Texas, we had a semester on U.S. government and a semester on Texas government that were required. So we used to get a lot more education. When I was teaching in high school here, before my wife had her stroke, back in the early, uh, back before 9-11, I spent five years uh, and I taught first period every day, introduction to business at the local high school. Okay. I had a great, had a great time. It was a, it was a blast. I go in and teach the course first period, then I come to work and do a full day. So, but the the level of of ignorance that exists in the high schools about civics and about the law and about the Constitution uh, was a little appalling to me. Uh, uh, they they don't teach it like they used to. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's only getting worse with time as you're not, it's like the, as long as you don't show it, then it gets the next person. Sorry about that. Then the next person is just, it gets snowballed worse and worse down the hit road. I agree with you. Um, so speaking of the constitution and Congress, what are your thoughts on the con- the um, Congress or Capitol Hill run is I, I think it's one of those, it's more of an act of terrorism, if anything. What would you? Oh, you're you're asking me to step into some stuff here. I, I, I we don't have to. I'm sorry. It was just one of those. It's it's, it's, it's I, I I abhor violence. Okay, uh, I don't think uh, violence is appropriate. I didn't think it'd been appropriate all summer in Portland, Chicago, New York, Minneapolis, Dallas, Los Angeles. Uh, so on. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's an appropriate civilized behavior uh, within a country. Um, so I am, am not uh, in favor of uh, storming the U.S. Capitol and causing damage and and uh, uh, people getting killed. Uh, no, I, I'm not in favor of that at all. It's absolutely appalling. Uh, I think it needs to be. Inv- I think it needs to be investigated. Uh, there are some accusations that it was planned by uh, people other than Trump supporters to create an incident. Uh, I don't know whether that's true or not, uh, but I think that uh, the appropriate authorities need to investigate it fully and determine exactly what and why it happened. Uh, some of the, the video is, is a little disturbing with Capitol Police, you know, waving people in and, and so on and so forth. And remember, these are public buildings. Uh, you have the right as a citizen to go in them. You they you own them. They're public buildings. Okay, doesn't mean you get to tear them up or destroy private offices or or steal the speaker's podium or anything like that. Don't <laughs> don't don't misunderstand. But they are public buildings. <laughs> Rioting is not appropriate, uh, and and shouldn't happen. I absolutely agree. Sorry to put you in that awkward situation. It's all right. I, you know, I'm. I tend to be a, a fiscal conservative and and a uh, a social liberal, and uh, uh, you know, there are people that that disagree with with my positions on things. And I'm I'm in business to serve clients. I'm not in business to to uh, promote yeah progressive thought or or conservative thought. That my business is is, is payroll. You know, that's just, what I write on. Okay. Yeah. There's, there's, that's my newest book, the payroll book. Uh, oh, 
So this is what I do. I do payroll, okay? <laughs> so what's the biggest misconception that the general populace knows for, for like the profile of a CEO and especially for you, a payroll person, like what are the, the differences you notice that we're, we're almost like a mantra kind of thing? Well, you know, we work hard. Uh, it's lonely at the top. Uh, it took me 30 years to, to get to where I'm at. And I worked very, very, very hard at getting there. And so did my wife. Uh, so, yeah, I've been successful and I've been in business for 30 years. I employ a dozen people. Oh, okay. Okay. I, <coughs> I, I oversee their livelihood. I pay them. I pay them good money. Uh, I pay them more than more than market because they're good people. Because we we work very hard at hiring productive uh, people that can do the job and produce more service uh, for our clients than they cost me. I'm not out there to cheat my employees uh, because I treasure them. Uh, I, the, they make me money. Yeah, why, they're why, why, why would I be why would I be hostile to my employees? Lord, they're they're my biggest asset. Yeah, they're what it? allows me to succeed. Thank you very much. I appreciate mm-hmm. them, and I pay them for it. And I listen to them and, and talk to them <clears throat> uh, when they want something. If we can do it, yeah, we do it. You know, there's uh, several of them are now working from home part time, and so they have that that ability to do that. And we figure that out through uh, the lockdown that we could do that, and we've now put in. Uh, facilities and equipment to allow them to do that on, on part of the time. Uh, so, you know, a CEO is not out there just for him. Okay. Yeah. I own the company. And if it goes broke, I lose all my investment. Uh, and I lose my income and I lose my job and I lose my paycheck. So treating people badly is just stupid as a businessman and CEOs, smart ones, don't do that. Okay. They understand that their employees are their most valuable asset. Now, are there stupid CEOs? Absolutely. Okay. There are are poor doctors, poor lawyers, poor politicians, poor CEOs, you name it. There's part of that group that's not very good at what they do. And if you've got a CEO like that, find another job. Yeah. There, or, there's, there's plenty of them out there. Just go find a, a better company to work for. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, it's one of those, like, just the general theme I hear from people on the street and all that. They, they think all CEOs are just in their office, yelling on the phone, like, make the stock go up kind of thing, crush the morale of the employee kind of thing. I'm like, no, they're strategic. They got to like help the employee to help the customer kind of thing. The, the, the job of a CEO and a leader of any sort, okay, is to remove the obstacles that keep employees from being successful. That's your job. There's things that only the boss can do. There's things that only the CEO can do to remove impediments, okay? Or to provide equipment, or to provide software, or training. I train my people constantly. 
we have webinars, seminars, classes, uh, certifications, and so on. And I pay for that. Okay. Right. Why do I pay for that? To make them more productive. And if they're more productive, I can pay them more. That makes them happy. Yeah. If I'm, you know, if they're more productive, that makes me more money. I'm happy. So yeah. it's, it's, and you know, some of my people now own part of the company. Interesting. And you know, I'm 71. I'm going to die one of these days. Okay. I know that. And I can't take it with me. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't work. It doesn't. Uh, you know, they, even if they put it in the, in the coffin with me, somebody's going to come along and take it back. I promise you. Yeah. <laughs> so I need to prepare for them to continue to succeed. And I want them to, uh, I don't want them to die with me. It's my legacy. So, you know, I want to be the founder and a hundred years from now, I'll be up on the wall still. Okay. Yeah. I'll be dead and rotted away, but my picture will still be on the wall. I want this company to be successful. Uh, I want my employees to be successful. Uh, I want to continue to grow the company and make revenue. Do I want a nice life in the process? Sure. But, you know, I've invested 30 years in this business and a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of risk. And if at any time in those 30 years it went belly up, I'm was- SOL. Yeah. So I have the risk. My employees don't have the same risk. They've not. Now, I've got people who work for me for over 20 years, and they've invested huge amounts of time and, and, and diligence and effort in, in, into the company. And I appreciate that. And, and I reward them for that. But I've invested a lot of money on top of that in 30 years of my time and taken the risk. And so should I get rewarded for it? Risk and reward, guys. The more risk you take, the, the more reward you should get. And the other side about that is the more risk you take, the more chance of loss and 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 wiping out your investment. So it's a balancing act. It is. Yeah, and, and not many people understand how being just a business owner um, alone is just absolutely risky. Oh. Especially, Absolutely. You start a business, everything you put into it is at risk. <coughs> You know, you build a business, you, you put up a grocery store, nobody shows up. You, it's not worth much, is it? No. Okay. If you can't sell the groceries, if you can't get groceries in there to sell, if you don't have somebody to ring them up, whatever, you're going to fail and all that investment just Gone. goes away. And it's it's one of those, it's the the painful almost dropping of the ball. Like, okay, here's your problem now. And all, the employees are just like, okay, it sucks. I'll pay, take a pay cut, but I'll go get like a different job somewhere else kind of thing. And, and they would, and I, I wouldn't blame them. Uh, and, and that's something we've we've avoided in the past, in the beginning. Uh, if there wasn't enough money to pay everybody, I was the one that took the cut. I was the last one to get paid. Okay. Well, that's how, you, that's how an entrepreneur works. I mean, you're the last one to make the money. You're not the first. You got to pay your bills. You got to pay that that bank loan. You've got to pay your employees. You got to pay your taxes. Uh, the only one you don't have to pay is you. So you're the you're the last one to get paid, not the first one. Interesting. Yeah, I've 
I do martial arts in California and my martial arts instructor is a full fledged business owner and entrepreneur. And he's even said that he's like, there, there are some months it gets really touch and go. And he's like, I, it's hard to tell if I can make the bills. I'm like, I'm sure the last year for him has been a disaster. Absolute wreck. He was, he was thinking he probably would never open up again. Kind of thing. It's quite possible. Uh, there's millions of businesses that are gone and many of them will never come back. Yeah, that's it's, it's been a business disaster, especially for the fitness, food, um, the whole hospitality yeah, entertainment yeah. business has been 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 shafted. Big yeah, time. and it's one of those. Other than maybe the big corporations, the mom and pops are probably not going to come back anytime soon. A lot of them won't. Now we've got a lot of them that have survived. Uh, we've got some that have prospered uh, in this. Uh, so. Businesses, you know, I find a new way to make money every day. There's millions of ways to make money. Uh, there's millions of ways to 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 start a, millions of businesses to start. Uh, you just have to want to do it and find something that you like to do and want to do and do it. And so, if you don't, if you don't, you know, if you're an employee and you can't get paid enough, <coughs> start your own business. It's not hard to start. It may be hard to succeed, but it's not hard to start. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so, you know, anybody who says they don't pay me enough. Well, one of two things, either you haven't convinced them of your value or you're overvaluing yourself. Yeah. Uh, if you think you haven't convinced them, convince them or find somebody else that you can convince that you're worth what you want. And if everybody says no, then it might be you. Start start your own business, guys. Go out there and, and show them that they're idiots and they should have hired you and you'd make them rich. Okay? Uh, you know, I'm sure Bill Gates had, had job offers. He, he turned them down. He started Microsoft, okay? Um, you know, Amazon didn't make money the first year, I promise you. Okay? It's now made Jeff Bezos one of the richest men in the world. Uh, you know, if Tesla hadn't sold any cars, uh, it would have been a whole different ball game. So, you know, if you've got the right idea and, and, and the right get up and go, get up and go, go do it. You, I even, did. Yeah. Even if it's small, like baking cookies and just selling them to local friends. Debbie you Fields, could... Mrs. Fields cookies. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's others. There's, there's others like that. There are stories that one of my favorite young black man uh, went to work for a McDonald's, 16, 17 years old. Uh, he came in every day, you know, freshly showered, clean uniform, picked up the parking lot on the way in on his time was always friendly to everybody, got along, did whatever he was asked to do. When his shift was over, he'd pick up the parking lot on his own time on the way home. He moved up the ladder in, in that franchise and became management because he worked at it. Everybody liked him. He did whatever was needed to be done, and he was friendly about it. And the franchise owner came to him and said, you're, you're too good at this. I know I'm going to lose you. 
So here's what I'm going to do. I will finance you in buying your own McDonald's franchise because I know you'll succeed and I'll get paid back. And by the time there's 25, you own three of them. Wow. I have a, a guy here in, in Dallas, uh, 35. He owns 300 restaurants. Why? He started one franchise. They said that, that that unit that he was putting in that place would never work. It's now the highest grossing of that franchise in the country. Okay. And he just reinvested his process uh, uh, profits and kept setting up other franchises and other restaurants. And he owns over 300 restaurants in the DFW area. And you don't think he's making money hand over fist? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this last year, I'm sure, has been tough for him, but uh, uh, it's a great story, uh, you know. Th- and there's there's millions of them. There is. So, it's just if you want to do it, and you work at it, you can get there. Absolutely, it's just it's the the long, hard, lonely work that no one wants to hear about, but it's what must be done. Day day one, okay. You know the, the old phrase is lonely at the top. Damn right it is. Uh, it's your ass on the line, and it, you're the, you're at risk, and your investment's at risk, and you put in those eighty hour weeks, uh, and you don't make any money. Day one, one month one, maybe year one, okay, and you're the one that has to suffer through, and and live on on beans and rice. But if you're successful, you make it in the end. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a nice life now. Uh, you know, um, I, I got my wife before she passed most everything she wanted. Uh, you know, we don't live. We're not billionaires. We're not even multimillionaires, but we live nicely. I right. make a good living. Okay. Uh, I could probably make a, a better living working for somebody else. But I like working for me. I like the freedom. You know, if I don't want to come into 11 o'clock, I don't come into 11 o'clock. But if I've got stuff I have to do and I have to work all day Saturday, well, I work all day Saturday. <laughs> yep. So I have the freedom to schedule my time. I don't have necessarily have the freedom not to work. But uh, uh, that kind of freedom and that kind of personal satisfaction is what makes owning a business worthwhile. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it was an old saying. I might be butchering it, but it's essentially as a business owner, you are – free to schedule yourself, but you're working like 90 hours a week kind of thing. So you're free to pick your mornings kind of thing. And that's it. Yeah. You're, 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 you're free to pick which 80 hours a week you work. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, um, I, we kind of passed it and just went right into the payroll. Can we, let's go into some of your, um, service stories. Oh, well, you know, I don't, I, there's, there's some fun things that went on in the service. Uh, you know, I, I remember one night we were in Vietnam. I'll tell you a Vietnam story. All right. St. Julian was our point man. Uh, St. Julian was as black as the ace of spades. And when we got to camouflage the first time, he laughed. He said, I don't need any. And the sergeant said, St. Julian, you just shine in the dark. <laughs> 
just that sweat on there, he just glows. So he had to he had to put camouflage on like the rest of us white boys. So he, we got over that. But one night, and he was great. I, I owe him my life more than once, believe me. He found a tripwire across the trail. Well, what you do when you find a tripwire is you know there's a booby trap there. Well, since you're in a populated area, the Viet Cong would set up booby traps to get us at night. Then they'd come back in the morning, and if it hadn't gone off, remove it so they wouldn't kill the locals. <clears throat> so what you'd do is if you found a booby trap, you'd set up an ambush. So when the VC came back in the morning, you could ambush them. Well, in the morning, we found out it was a spider thread across the trail. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> but he saw it, and he actually felt along it. And so we set an ambush all night long on a spider thread. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, you know, there's there's all kinds of, of fun things that happen anywhere you're at. If, if, if you look at the, the fun side of things, the, the, the good side of things, you can be happy anywhere. One of the most peaceful moments in my life, uh, we had been dropped off north of Red Beach. Uh, and we were going out on a patrol in the, at uh, at night and it was sunset and we were heading whatever anyway north of us was mountains north of the namo river um, this is 20 30 miles north of denang up in icor and the sun's setting and so the sky's turning purple It's very, very quiet. The, the day insects are, 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 are bedding down and the night insects are not really up yet. So it's warm, but not hot. Uh, very, very gentle breeze. We're walking out along the rice paddy dikes uh, at 10 yard intervals. So it's a beautiful bucolic setting, just incredibly beautiful, verdant green. It's the jungle, okay? Rice paddies, water, jungle, mountains, purple mountains, just incredibly beautiful. And the Buddhist gong in the village behind us starts to ring. So you get these low, deep gongs at, at you know, 10 second intervals, just rolling across uh, the rice paddies. And that's one of the most peaceful moments I've ever encountered in my life in a beautiful country. That's just and we're in the middle of a war. But it was it was beautiful. That was just that was a beautiful story in and of itself. I was I was imagining that too of like what it would be like and like wow that is very beautiful and peaceful. It was. It really was. Vietnam's a beautiful country. Okay. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily agree with the government and everything else, but that's doesn't stop. California is a beautiful state. So is Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and I grew up in Iowa. And, you know, you drive through the cornfields of Iowa and it's incredible. So every state has beautiful things. They do. Every part of the world has beautiful things, whether it be the desert or the mountains or the, the beachfronts or whatever. There's, there's beauty everywhere if you look for it. But the key word is you have to look for it. 
you have to look for it and, and be willing to find it. If you're not willing to find it, you won't. Right. It's that's one of the like the the things with people they just they don't want to work. It's easy to like hand it to me like on Instagram compared to if you just go in your backyard, you could see a beautiful flower you haven't seen for like three months, kind of thing. Well, you know, and it's it's there's all kinds of people. You know, I've, <coughs> we had this discussion here the other day. Uh, we're talking about criminals uh, because we get hit with with people trying to commit payroll fraud all the time. Okay. Uh, trying to get us to set up a payroll and pay them, knowing that we're not going to get the money from their bank. Okay. Okay. Uh, we get we get a hundred of those a year. Okay. And we've we haven't been hit from fraud in many many years because we just are very careful. Right. Uh, but if and the comment was, you know, if these guys would spend half the amount of effort on legitimate business that they do on fraud. They'd make a killing. They'd be well off. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, nobody ever said criminals are smart. True. Well, there, there is those special kind of criminals that are extremely smart, but they also realize they're doing something very bad too. Oh, there's, there's all, there's all kinds of people and all kinds of criminals. And, and, you know, the, the comment else was that the risk if you get caught, isn't worth the reward. It's it's like, you know, I'd get people when I did tax work that would want me to cheat on their taxes. No. I'm a CPA. I'm licensed by the state of Texas. And that license is hard to get and allows me to make a nice living. You want me to jeopardize that license for a couple hundred dollars? Son, you don't have enough money in total for me to jeopardize my license, let alone what you're willing to pay me. So right. just move on down the line. It's, it's, it's crazy. Why would I do that? That's well, insane. And you never want to take on the IRS like <clears throat> that either. Well, I fight the IRS constantly because there's all kinds of problems with the IRS. and They make mistakes. They make millions of them every year. Uh, they issue penalties for no good and valid reason, uh, or they've screwed up or, or whatever. You know, this is a, a, a key. Okay. The IRS cannot penalize you for a simple mistake. They do all the time, but they cannot. It's illegal. If you read the law, it's only for gross negligence. Not for just a simple mistake. Simple mistake, you calculate and pay the tax and, and the interest. There's no penalties. Okay? But who gets to decide whether it's gross negligence or a simple mistake? The IRS. Right. And if you read all the manuals, there is no hard and fast rule of what constitutes gross negligence. So it's in the eye of the beholder. So when you get hit with a penalty, you ask for an abatement. You ask for it to be reversed. And you ask again and again and again, and you go up the ladder, you go through the appeals process, and you keep asking. It's a whole series of no's. And then when you get that single yes, you shut up, take it, and leave. Okay? Yes. Don't keep talking. Okay? Don't piss them off. Just say thank you very much and get your ass out of there. Okay? <laughs> And 
this is what I can do for my clients, and I do all the time, is the IRS makes millions of mistakes a year. I'm sorry, you got 100,000 people, more. Uh, training budgets are way down from what they used to be. Uh, COVID has not helped at all. And in some cases, you're dealing with technology that's from the 1960s, okay? And people get transferred around in the service, and they're stuck into new areas they not may not be an expert at. So all of that combined makes for mistakes. If you don't know how to fix it or how to appeal it or how to deal with it, you're never going to fix it. That's why you hire somebody like me or a CPA for your personal taxes because we know what to do. <coughs> I, I had one penalty. Uh, it was $95,000. We fought it for nine years. Wow. And in the end, they gave my client a $400 refund. That's the kind of thing we can do and a good CPA can do for you. Okay. Is be, and and here's, here's the analogy I use. You take a great Brazilian soccer player. I don't know the current ones, but Pele was from my day and age. Incredible athlete. Incredible soccer player. Okay? And you stick him in a New York Yankees uniform and put him at second base. And he's lost. He doesn't know the game. He doesn't know the equipment. He doesn't know the rules. He doesn't know the playing field. He doesn't know the plays. He doesn't know to throw it to first base. He doesn't know a lot of things. He's still a great athlete. Right. And he'll become a great baseball player if you give him time. Okay. Michael Jordan went from basketball to baseball and, and was successful. Not wildly, but successful nonetheless. Okay. Um, Bo Jackson, same thing, football and baseball. So people do it. And, and, and Pele would become a great player. But you stick him in there the first day, he's absolutely, totally, and completely lost. And that's a civilian dealing with the IRS. You're just, yeah. you, you don't know the rules. You don't know the regulations. Uh, you don't know the law. You don't know the playing field. You don't know what you can say, what you can't say. Uh, you, you, you don't understand that the, if it's a collection agent, that he doesn't care whether it's right or wrong. He just wants the money. Uh, you, you don't know how to appeal. You don't know who to talk to. You can't say to the examiner, okay, uh, I want to talk to your supervisor. That's absolutely appropriate. But if you don't know that, he's not going to tell you, oh, you can talk to my supervisor. He's going to tell you to write the check. Mm-hmm. So, you, But if you know to talk to the supervisor, supervisor's not uh, sympathetic, you take it to the penalty appeals coordinator, you take it to the appeals office, you file a 12-153 for a collection due process hearing, you file a petition in tax court. That's why I became a U.S. tax court practitioner. There's only a few hundred of us in the country. Oh, okay. It, it allows me to <coughs> take my client's cases to U.S. tax court without being an attorney. I have a bar card from the U.S. tax court. Wow. I am a licensed U.S. tax court practitioner. This goes back many years uh, when the board of uh, whatever, the tax board, was turned into a court. Uh, John Dingle insisted in the legislation that non-attorneys could practice in that court. Uh, the court doesn't particularly like us. Other attorneys don't particularly like us because we're not 
a state licensed attorney. But we are licensed to practice in U.S. tax court. I can present petitions for my clients. I can advocate to them or for them uh, with the uh, uh, tax counsel for the IRS and actually take it to court and argue the case in court if need be. Now, 95% of all tax cases get settled before court. So I now am able to prosecute these things for my clients successfully. You know, I have yet to lose a tax court case. Most of them never go to court, so. Yeah, and the ones that do. So we've been, we've been very successful. That I did not know about the tax court system. That's interesting. Can you go in a little more about that, the different nuances? Sure. <clears throat> now, the tax court doesn't cover everything, okay? But it covers a lot of things, and it's the court of original jurisdiction on a number of tax cases. Now, you can take it to the district court if you prefer. That's always a, an option, and I can't represent you in district court. But the tax court, the nice thing about that is you don't have to pay the tax first. You file a petition, and it stops all collection efforts, all collection efforts immediately upon filing that petition. So if you get into a situation where you're right, don't don't file frivolous petitions. That'll just that's going to cost you money and time, and, and the court is not going to look favorably upon you filing a frivolous uh, uh, petition. But if you have a real case and you can't get the IRS to stop collections and you can't get them to listen to you, you can go file, as a civilian even, file a petition with the U.S. tax court. It's $60, and if you can't afford that, they'll waive it. And, And that stops everything and gets you in front of a judge uh, that is going to listen to the case. And the tax court judges are very sympathetic to pro se filers and will provide help for you. And occasionally they win because they have the right on their side. The IRS has gotten overbearing for one reason or another, isn't listening for one reason or another. And so these people still win. And then if you have a professional on your side <coughs> who can say, no, no, don't bother. Just pay it, set up an installment agreement, whatever. Or they say, yeah, you've got a reasonable chance of winning this if we can get it into court. So let's file a petition that costs us 60 bucks, and let's have it come back to the, uh, it'll go to docket appeals, and the district council will call us, and we'll discuss the case and set up meetings and provide them proof and so on. But it stops everything from, from happening uh, in terms of collections until the case is, is settled or ruled on. And then, you know, if even if you lose, you have 30 days after that uh, before they can, you know, seize assets and so on. So that's definitely why we, us civilians and corporations need guys like you. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, it doesn't come to that very often, but I had a client, that <laughs> was my partner's client, and pre, another payroll company, had sent out an extra W-2 form incorrectly. But after a year, they wouldn't correct it. And so the client has two W-2s and the IRS wants taxes and all that income. And he's going, hey, 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 this is a duplicate W-2. I don't owe this money. And he's not able to convince anybody that this is what happened. So we filed a petition 
And about 60, 75 days later, we got a call from the district council who it had gone to. And he said, ah, you're right. Never mind. We'll just, we'll just uh, uh, fix it. And that was it. Wow. Cost him 60 bucks in my fee, which was not very much because I didn't have to do much. I wrote the petition, sent it in. And he was to the good about 6,000 bucks of what the IRS really wanted. And he didn't know. So there's times that's, you know, now if you go to district court, you're going to hire a tax attorney and it's going to be a, a retainer of probably five grand. Okay. Just to get him to talk to you. So you can do this with a tax court practitioner or on your own. You can look up online how to file a U.S. tax court uh, petition. There's guides to it, and they'll help you. The tax court will help you get that done right because, well, it justifies their existence is, you know, they're hearing these cases. So they're real good about it. They're far more sympathetic than the IRS is. But... uh, if you file a frivolous case, <laughs> they're, they're going to be of no help to you whatsoever. You know, there's a lot of people that, well, it's unconstitutional. We don't have to pay taxes. I'm a, I'm a sovereign citizen. All, I've heard most of them over the last 50 years. Uh, you may believe it, but the U.S. government doesn't, and the courts don't believe it, and it's not going to go anywhere except cost you more and more money. So frivolous petitions are a waste of time. Sorry. It's just immediate, this T-file. It's like, well, why are we doing this kind of thing? They're just going to, they're going to look at it and throw it out. And so it's not going to do any good. It's just going to waste. And and you, if you do it just, just to suspend the time, you can do it. There's better ways to do it. You're better off to ask for an installment agreement and and, and work with them. I mean, you know. Yeah. There's better ways to do it than to, to file frivolous petitions. Totally agree. I'm like, I'm still a little new, but I agree with the don't file anything foolish kind of thing. It's a waste of time. It's just going to cost you money and aggravation, and they're not going to be happy about it. And they actually, in some situations, can fine you for filing frivolous lawsuits, which will exacerbate the situation. Do tell. What else? Yep. What else? Like, interesting. Huh. So much already I've learned in this hour. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what I do for a living. So, and a lot of it, <clears throat> there's a million things that I'll never explain to clients because they, they don't need to know. Okay. If they want right. to know, I'll talk to them about it. But it's like when you go take a lab test from a doctor and he tells you your cholesterol is high, do you ask him, well, what reagent did they use in the test? No, no. I didn't know that was. You don't care. Yeah. The, the, the te- you know the test is valid and you know what the results are and you don't want to know what the effects, the results mean to you. How the test was, was created and performed, you don't really care. Okay, so when you get the tax law, why it was written, what the congressional intent behind it is, and all these other things, and how the regulations got written and processed and put in place, don't really matter. 
What matters is this is the law and this is what it means to you. So I know a lot more about it. That's my business. Right. And, and there's occasions that congressional intent matters. Okay. Occasionally, very occasionally. And, you know, I'm a tax court practitioner. That's, you know, CPAs, we're professional nitpickers. Okay. <laughs> getting, into the, getting into the weeds is something I like to do. So we do that stuff. Uh, I won't explain it to the client because he doesn't care. How does it affect me and what do I need to do about it? Okay, this is how it affects you and this is what you need to do. So, Interesting. Yeah. Um, so speaking of uh, nitpicking and fun, what hobbies do you do other than work? Do you have, do you like watch sports or? No, I, I, I read a great deal. Um, I'm a science fiction fan, as among other things. Okay. And uh, uh, I'm a poker player. Um, I like to play poker. Uh, I play at the local casinos. Uh, I'm a pilot, a uh, private pilot. Interesting. Um, about 20 years ago, I said to my wife, you know, I'd like to learn how to fly a small plane. She looked at me and she says, you better do it pretty soon or you're going to be too damn old. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and found an instructor who was older than me and I got my pilot's license, still have it. So do you, st- that's do you still fly or no? Not as much. Uh, I need to get a plane. One of these days I'll, and, and, and you know, oh, he's going to buy a plane. I'll buy a plane for less than the cost of my automobile. Okay. Yeah. You, know, you can buy a nice used plane. 40 or 50,000 bucks paid out over 15 years. Okay. So it's not like it's a huge thing, guys. Right. The, the used planes are not that expensive. I'm not going to go buy a new um, $2 million or a million dollar Cirrus SR22. Uh, if I was going to buy a Cirrus, it would be a 10, 15 year old SR20 <laughs> that I'd buy for maybe 60 grand. Okay. Right. Less than the cost of, you know, many, a big SUV will cost you that much. Right. So, uh, and it's, it, it gets you from one place to another a lot faster than that SUV will. <laughs> Isn't it the fuel for planes or more the expensive part than the actual plane itself? The fuel is, is it's a little more than, 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 the, than the cost of driving. But on the right plane, you know, you may be getting eight to 10 gallons an hour, but you're getting 120 to 150 miles an hour. So you're getting 15 miles to the gallon. And it's basically gasoline, okay, or diesel. So no, that's not, expensive thing is the maintenance. Oh, okay. Because, you know, you land that thing without the gear down. (laughs) Oh boy. Or you have to do an engine overhaul. And that engine overhaul may be half the price of the airplane. So- you know, you got to you got to build in for every hour you fly. You got to put some money in the kitty to, yeah. to take care of maintenance because AP mechanics don't work for free. I promise you. <laughs> and there's very few of them too, so they're very expensive. They're not cheap. Now there's a good living. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, yeah. But those are those are my hobbies. Okay. Um. I actually can't think of anything right now. Uh, is there anything you want to just end it there? One, one, one more thing. 
All right. The payroll book, it's a complete guide for small businesses and startups. So if you're thinking of getting a business, it's available on Amazon. It's available at thepayrollbook.com, Barnes and Nobles, other fine bookstores. Okay. Uh, online, it can be, you can buy it as a Kindle book. And it's 30 years of experience distilled down into 90,000 words. Has lots of stories, lots of things to think about, horror stories, reminders, uh, pitfalls. Uh, and if you're thinking of going into business, this is one you should have on your shelf. Yeah. Uh, the next next nicest thing is the source, payroll source, uh, and it's available from the APA for uh, $600. This is $22.95 at Amazon. <laughs> so... It's like a step up. You try this one. If you like it, then you go to the other one. Uh, you don't need the other one. Believe me, I I, I, I buy it just okay. for some of the references. But uh, pretty much anything that was important, I incorporated in this book. <laughs> Brilliant. I might have to pick it up myself. Uh, before you hire anybody or if you incorporate, if you incorporate, you're an employee and you have to take payroll. Okay. You don't have a choice. So if you formed your own corporation and you work in it, you have to take W-2 income. You do not have a choice. Interesting. If you form an LLC that's not a disregarded entity, you got to take payroll. As a sole proprietor, you don't. And as a partner, you don't. Interesting. So then if someone's filing for incorporation, they should also give you a holler kind of thing. It's like, hey, I'm doing this. What are the steps I should take kind of thing? Exactly. Pick up the book. Give me a call. One of the two. And understand what your responsibilities are. Because you have them. And the IRS has been known to come in and reclassify uh, distributions as income. And then ask for all the withholding and all the taxes and all the FICA, all the Medicare, plus penalties and interest for not having it done timely. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so how do you sleep at night? <laughs> I sleep well. Some of my cl- some of the people that come to me as new clients have not been sleeping well. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But that's see our our our, our whole shtick. Is compliance. That's what we're experts at. We take up 2848, a limited power of attorney on every client. This allows us for every payroll client we have to advocate for our clients with the IRS and the states and the local governments. We fight for our clients. When there's a mistake, we go to bat for them. Whether it's their mistake or the, the IRS's mistake or the occasion, it's ours. Okay. We're not perfect. So we fix them. And that's what we're very, very good at. Uh, and most of our competitors can't and won't do that. If you go to one of the majors and you say, I want to talk to a CPA, they'll tell you to talk to your own. Well, if your own CPA really understood payroll inside and out, because it's a, it's a special area, they'd be doing your payroll already. So you'd have to pay them to learn what they need to know. And that's expensive and time-consuming, and they may not learn it. So if you've got a payroll problem, get a payroll professional, somebody that deals with it on a, on a, on a daily basis. Uh, and if you want to outsource, make sure who you outsource it to 
can handle the compliance issues when they arise and they will arise. Okay. Are there like any questions like for a commoner, just be like basics for knowing knowledge, like, Oh, do you do this? Or what are your uh, standards or rules for this kind of thing? Your performance? You know, uh, anybody can give me a call. And if I can answer a question offhand, I'll be glad to. So if you got questions, uh, either pick up the book or, or pick up the phone and give me a call or send me an email. I, I answer questions all the time. I'm a problem solver. I like to do that. Okay. So, you know, there, there's a million things and, you know, 5 million businesses and they're all unique. <clears throat> and so I don't know all the questions they have. I may not even have all the answers, but I know where to find them. All right. So definitely when you're, you're looking for payroll, give this, give this guy a call. Please, we'd be happy to take care of you. Awesome. Thank you, Charles. I look forward to get you on maybe later on uh, in the future. Josh, my pleasure. Awesome. Have a good one, Charles. You too. Bye-bye.